Here we're starting here on the bottom of Nun Bet Amad by the two dots. In Mivarchim, the Mishnah laid out a number of times where with a Nerim Samim, you're not allowed to use them. One was Nerim Samim of an Akum. The other one was Nerim Samim of a mate. And the last one was Nerim Samim of a Vodazara. Merg explains Bishlam on Ner, Mishum Tlo Shavat. I understand why you can't use a Ner of an Akum, of an Anjou, because it didn't rest on Shabbat. There was Isr Malacha done with that Ner. Ela Bissamim, my time alone. What's wrong with using the Bissamim of and akum. We're dealing with a Bodazara feast. And we're going to assume that, in general, these types of festivities that are practiced by the akum are dedicated towards the Bodazara. And therefore, the Bissamim that are found at this meal are going to be associated with the Vodazarah. You already have that case of Ne'er B'samim Vodazarah. Sounds like the problem in the earlier part of the Mishnah has nothing to do with Vodazarah. It's explaining, the latter half of the Mishnah is explaining the earlier part. What's the problem with the candle and B'samim of the non-Jew? Because they're generally their festivities, their meals that they put together involve a vodizara, and therefore we're going to be suspicious if we get a nair or b'samim from them that it's associated with the vodizara, and therefore you shouldn't use it. So now tanar banan or shishavat mevarchim alav a candle, a light, flame that rested that you're laid to make a brachan shaloshavat mevarchim alav. But if it did not rest, you cannot make a brachan it. You know, this has to be a nair that wasn't lit on Shabbat itself, or did not perform malacha on Shabbat itself, otherwise it's precluded from being used for the candle of Abdullah. Omai lo Shabbat, what does it mean that it didn't rest? Inema lo Shabbat machmat malacha, if you say that it didn't rest from malacha, afilumi malacha deheteiro, even if it was malacha that was allowed, I meaning it can't have been used for anything? Is that really true? Batanya. A light of a woman who is pregnant or woman post-pregnancy needs help or someone who is sick because that nair was permitted to be lit for the needs of the individual who is sick. So that nair, even though it was beheter, you're suggesting to me because malacha was done, it was done on Shabbat, it's no good. But here we see the bright explicitly says that that type of nair is fine. So It's not just any melacha. It has to rest from melachet avera. Only melacha that would otherwise been precluded. That means that it was lit illegally by a Jew, or if it was lit by a non-Jew on Shabbat, that's still problematic because that's not permitted. That candle has done something that is an Avera. Tanya Hochi, we have a brighter that supports that. A shishit. A shishit is generally a glass unit that has a candle in it. You can see what Rashi says, lantirna. It's a lantern. The ashishit shaita dulaket ve'olechet kolayom. It was lit and going all of Shabbat. Kulo, l'motzei Shabbat mevarchin So the example brought as a classic case of melechet heter is if the candle was lit before Shabbat, it lasts over the entire Shabbat, you can use it after Shabbat to make the bracha on it. So therefore, when we say Shabbat, we mean that it didn't do any avira, didn't do any melacha of isur on Shabbat. It wasn't used or utilized in a way 
that otherwise would have been precluded on Shabbat. If a non-Jew borrowed the flame from a Jew, he lit it from the Jew's flame. Or Israel or a Jew lit the flame from a non-Jew. You can make a brach on it. But if it's a Nachriz who lit from another Nachri, that you can't use. What's the problem with a non-Jew who lit from another non-Jew? The problem is that the flame didn't rest. The first non-Jew lit it on Shabbat. The second one who's taking the flame from him is just transferring that flame. It's just passing along the problematic flame. It says, What do you mean? You have the same problem when the Jew takes the flame from the non-Jew. The non-Jew lit the flame, and now the Jew's taking that flame from him. So what are you going to suggest? That the Isura is gone. The flame that he lit is not the flame that you're holding. It passed. A flame is for an instant. That flame burns. Once the Malach is done, then the new flame that you have there, it's like Panim Chadashot. It's a totally different flame. So if you want to suggest that the flame itself is a continuum, it's not the same flame all along, but multiple flames as you go along, then and therefore it's considered to be a totally different flame, and the Jew takes it from the Nachri, his flame is a new flame. What are you going to do with the Brayta? Someone who carries a flame out into the Rishut Rabim, Chayav, Amai Chayav, Mashakar lo hiniach, Umashiniach lo akar. We'll get to this soon in the second Shabbat, but one of the basic premises of the Malacha of carrying on Shabbat is that you have to uproot it from a location and then place it down in the other location. So you're okerid from the Rishut Hayachid, and then you are Miniachid, you place it down in the Rishut Rabim, or you move it you're okay in the Shutar Bim and you move it more than four amot and then you place it down in the Rishutar Bim. Well, that's only true if what you lift it up is what you put down. But if the Shalhebit is not a single flame, but rather a flame, flame, like continuum of multiple flames, then whatever you picked up to carry is not what you put down. It's a different flame that you're putting down, so you should never be chayab for carrying. What, what is the more I ask? Right, so Tosud asks your question, and he says they just had a better question. They, you could have asked it that way, but they just happened to have another better question. Then you shouldn't be carrying a flame at all. Alright, Ella, the Olam, the Yisura Nami Eitid. Now, you have to say that the Yisura continues. Oh, if the Yisura continues, then why, when a Jew lights it from a non Jew's flame, is it okay? You're making the bracha on the extra of heter that came. I mean, the once it's lit on Motzei Shabbat, true, it was lit on Shabbat and did Isur. But once it extends into Motzei Shabbat, and you light it, you switch it over to the Jew's candle, that hetera that it burns with the Jew, that's what you're making the bracha on. Well, if that's the case, then you have David, now you have your question, which is, let us go back, then Yehochi, Nachri Nami. So then Nachri Minachri should have the same or dispensation. Because the first Nachri lit it Isur, the second Nachri picked up the flame, and now it's burning beheter on Moshe Shabbat. You should better make the bracha. The Gemara says, Enochanami. You're right. Well, the writer doesn't say that. So what do you mean, Enochanami? Gzeira, Mishum, Nachri Rishon, Vamud Rishon. They made a Gzeira, and as Tosav points out, it's a single Gzeira, but they made a Gzeira that you can't take it from the second Nachri, because if someone takes it from the second Nachri, they might come take it from the first Nachri. Because there was no Jew involved. So there's no way to say, oh wait, because the Jew was involved, that's why it's okay. 
So when they take it from the second nakhri, people are going to come to take it from the first nakhri, or they're going to come to use the first flame that came, and that they can't. You have to have a transference of the flame, and then in the second flame, you have to have that bibizmanaheter. So in Okhanami, any second person who lit it would have been fine. We're just precluding using that of a nakhri to nakhri because of the problem that you might come to use it from the first nechri. And that's the halacha. Motzei Shabbat does not require a ner shishabbat. It just requires that it be not a ner shaloshabbat. So it could be, you could light the candle from new. You could just light a match and light the candle, no problem. You could light it from a flame that was het there, that stayed over the whole Shabbat, that's fine as well. You could light it from someone who did it, or had malacha Shabbat, as long as you transfer the flame, and now it burns beheter. All of those are permissible for the candle of Motzei Shabbat. The reason being that the Bori Morahesh that we make on Motzei Shabbat is over the creation of fire. Adam Rishon, for the first time, had to create fire on Motzei Shabbat, but that was Yeshmeayim. He created fire from nothing. Whether he rubbed two sticks together, he used some flintstone, whatever he used to light the fire, but he started it from nothing, and therefore you don't require... Any near Shabbat, you need a flame that started on Motzei Shabbat, that lit the head of Motzei Shabbat. That's not true by Yom HaKippurim, which is coming up. By Yom HaKippurim, we make a bracha on the candle on Motzei Yom HaKippurim, but there, the reason we make it is not because fire was created on Motzei Yom HaKippurim, that's because the flame was osor on Yom Kippur, as opposed to Yom Tov, where one can use the flame, can transfer the flame, can light the fire to cook with, can transfer it to have lights on Yom Tov, there, the candle's mutar. It makes no sense to make a brach after Yom Tov because you're using it the whole Yom Tov. Yom Kippur is precluded from one lighting candles, transferring the fire, cooking. So therefore, the reason you can make a bracha on Motzei Yom Kippur on the fire is because now it's beheter. It was an Easter till now. Now it's beheter. In that case, the only thing that works for the bracha is a ner Shabbat. You have to have a flame that stayed over Yom Kippur that didn't have malacha done to it. Because that flame is something that was in Azman where it couldn't be used, and now it can be used. So the bracha is on the fact that this flame just changed status. It went from a status of being not usable to a status of being usable. And that's why people light a Yerzai candle, some long candle, so that they have it on Motzei Yom Tov, because they have a Ner Shabbat to make the bracha on after Yom Kippurim. Shabbos, again, is not because of the Shabbat. It has the aspect of Shabbat on it, but as the additional aspect that the Adam Arishon created fire on Motzei Shabbat. And so the Zecher, that first fire that he made, we make the Borei Moresh. So there's a secondary reason to say Borei Moresh and Shabbat, which doesn't exist by Yom HaKippurim. All right. Tanar Banan. Hayam Elech Chutz Walking outside the city, Vra'a Or. And he sees fire, he sees light in the city. Imrob Nachrim. If the city is majority of non-Jews, then he cannot make a bracha. But if it's majority of Jews, you can't make a bracha. The assumption being, if it's majority of non-Jews, it was not an error to Shabbat. Meaning that it was lit on Shabbat itself, and therefore it doesn't qualify for the light to make a bracha after Shabbat. Ha-gufakasho. Amaritim rov nachrim. If you said the majority are non-Jews, ain't a mivarech. Ha-mechsa, mechsa, mivarech. If it's 50-50, then you can't make a bracha. If it's a majority of Jews, you make a bracha. If it's 50-50, then you can't make a bracha. So you left out the case of 50-50, basically. We don't know what the din should be. So says, 50-50 is good enough to make the bracha. For parallel structures, since it said rov nachrim in the first case, 
It said Rov Yisrael in the second case. But even if it was Mechsa Mechsa, even if it was 50-50, that would qualify for a fire on which you can make a bracha. He's walking outside the city. Yeah, Tinok, and he's carrying some sort of torch in his hand. Who checks if the young child is a Jew? Then he can make a bracha on it. On the other hand, if it's a non-Jew, you can't make a bracha. What's the question about a young child carrying a torch? Even if the person was of age. Why isn't that? Why don't you have the same situation? You should be able to ask them what the story is with the flame and whether you make a bracha or not. Talking about very close to sunset. By a gadol, it's for sure, we're talking about a non-Jew, because no Jew would be out so close to the close of Shabbat with a torch. Tinok, Emar Yisrohu, Akri Vinakat. So that, if it's a Jew, then would you say that it was a young, a young kid, who by chance happened to be carrying out a flame. It was an odd situation, some unusual situation. And therefore, he ended up with this flame out there. So the assumption being that people don't rush out of Shabbat. They take their time. You know, they take their time leaving Shabbat. Nobody's going to be out there immediately after Shabbat with a flame. So that's why if it's a gadol, you can just assume it's an achri, you don't even have to check. Whereas, if it's a young child, there's sometimes, there are instances where the child will have a flame for whatever reason. They have a flame out there, so in that situation, it's worth checking to see if they're Jewish or not Jewish. Another situation in which he's walking outside the city. And he sees a fire. If it is wide as the opening, the mouth of the baking oven, then you can make a bracha on it. That's not the case. Then you can't make the bracha on it. If one Brighter that says, when it comes to the fire of the ovens, you can make a bracha on it. Tani Yidoch, we have another brighter that says, Ein mevarchim alav. You can't. Lokasho, that's not a question. Habetchila, habesof. One is in the beginning, and one is in the end. So Rashi says, Betchila, in the beginning, they use it for srefat avanim. They use it to bake the bricks. The kibshan was used to bake bricks. So in the beginning, the flame in the kivshan is not made for light. It's made for baking or cooking with heat. On the other hand, besof, after they've done their work, they light a huge fire in there for the light. Not to burn the bricks anymore, not to bake the bricks, but simply for the light that the oven gives off. And therefore, in a case where it's for light, then you can make the bracha. That's what it said. If it fills up the whole pia kivshan, if you see a flame that's white enough to fill the whole mouth of the kivshan, you know they're not using that flame to bake with, because that's just too big. That type of flame is used for light, not for its heat. So Tani Chado, or Shiltanur, or the light or flame of an oven or a stove, you can make bracha on it. Tani Doch, there's another brighter that you cannot make a bracha on it. Lokasha, again, it's not a kasha, Had Betvila, Abulusof. So again, as Rashi points out, in the end, you can make a bracha on it, because after they heat up the oven, and the bread is already inside of it, they take a bunch of kindling and they stick it in there, not for its heat, but for its light, for its purpose of light. So if it's for its light, then you can make a bracha on it. On the other hand, if it's made for the heat or for the cooking capabilities, then you cannot make a bracha on it. Tani chada or midrash It's one brighter that says a shul and a beit midrash 
They have candles in them, you can make the bracha on them. And we have another bright that says you cannot make the bracha. Lokasha. It's not a question. Depends if you have an important person there, if you don't have an important person. If you have an important person there, then we assume that the light was made for the kavod of the important person that was there. They were lit simply for the kavod of the visitor. On the other hand, if there's no important person there, the only reason to have lights inside the Bay Knesset and the Bay Midrash is for their light. So in that case, you can make a brach on it. So if there's an Adam Choshev, you cannot make a bracha. If there's no Adam Choshev, in that case, you can make a bracha, because then it's simply made for its light. Right, in this case, also the previous case. Why do we, uh, as long as it's not something bad, that's Because the particular bracha, Borei Morei Eish, on Motzei Shabbat, based on the Midrashim, that the sun did not set over the Shabbat. The first time Adam Rishon faced darkness was on Motzei Shabbat. And therefore, when he lit the fire, he lit it for light purposes. So assuming, you know, based on the Midrash, that's why we make the Borei Morei Eish on Motzei Shabbat, the light was the primary reason that Adam Rishon lit the fire on Motzei Shabbat. He did need it for cooking as well. You're right. He needed it for other purposes. Motzei Shabbat is focused on that because that's from connected to Adam Rishon. Yom Kippur is not focused on light. It's focused on Malach. So there, in Ersh Shabbat is something that I couldn't use it for anything. Now I can use it for something. I can use it for Malach now that I couldn't use it before. That's what the bracha is about. On Motzei Shabbat, the bracha is focused on what Adam Rishon did, which was it created for light. But if that's the case, we should make a bracha every time we light a fire. I didn't have this fire before, now I have it. going from a restricted to a light of heter. I had a light that I couldn't use, and now it's, it's been permitted. It is an unusual bracha, but that's that's the nature of that bracha. I mean, then if you ask, why don't make a bracha on all kinds of other... I think the bracha really revolves around the uniqueness of Yom Kippur, which is it's the only one of the Yom Tovim, where there is a restriction of Ochel Nefesh. focuses on that difference, and therefore we move from Yisra to Heter. That, that's the, the nature of the bracha, is that the Havdalah can't just be the regular Havdalah of Motzei Yom Tov. It can't be the Havdalah of Shabbat. So it has to be Havdalah in between. So creating a Havdalah in between is by using this Ner Shabbat creates this Havdalah in between, which is a better than Yom Tov Havdalah, but less than Shabbat Havdalah. Because again, the, the Eastern Malachah is in between those two. Now both cases where you do have an Adam Choshev in the, in the Beit Midrash, coming to visit. Now the, as you can see here, there's the Odal of the Gra. The Gra says that the Rachs Girsa was the other way around, which was the Lekka, Adam Chashuv, and that's because the Rach explains the exact opposite of Rashi. He explains if an Adam Chashuv is coming, the reason they lit the candles was for light. But if there's no Adam Chashuv, then they're simply for Kvod Beit Medrash, Kvod Beit Knesset. They're simply lit for the Kvod of the Makom. If there is an Adam Chashuv there, then they lit it for the light, so everybody can see, and that it would be more light. Rach explains the exact opposite of Rashi. So again, he's going to have the opposite Girsa here. He's going to have the Lekka Adam Chashuv versus Rashi. He's going to have the Ikad Adam Chashuv. So we're reading with Rashi's Girsav, it's Vadika Domukhashuv, Velokasha, Adika Khazana, Hadalekha Khazana. It depends not on whether there's an Adam Khoshuv, but rather whether there is a Khazana, the Shamash Beta Knesset who lives there. Does he live on the premises? If the Khazana Knesset, who is basically the Shamash of the Beta Knesset, if he lives on the premises, then the light is not only for the Beit Knesset, it's for him to eat afterwards. He lives there. If he doesn't live there, then the light simply for Kvod, the Adam Chashuf. It's a case where he does live in the Shul. Depends if the moon's out that night or not. There's a full moon, he wouldn't have needed the candles. So the candles are simply for Kvod Beta Knesset, Kvod Beta Midrash. And if there's no moon there, then he certainly needs them because the Chazan lives there and he needs the candles. To answer your question about the Rach, so how come they don't need candles when there's no Adam Chashuv? It might have been a night that they had the moon out. So you could have a situation where they didn't need the candles for light, 
There was no Adam Chashuv coming. The light candles were simply lit for a Kvod Beit Knesset, Kvod Beit Midrash. All right, Don Rabbanan. We're sitting in the Beit Midrash and they bring a fire. Everybody makes their own bracha. One person makes a bracha for everyone that's there. Means the more people there, the more honor, the more glory that is given to the king. So the larger the audience, the better. So a single bracha for many people is even better. We only have this really in one instance where Tisha B'Av falls out on Motzei Shabbat and people have to make a Borei Moraesh. Usually in Shul, one person makes a Borei Moraesh for the entire congregation because we make the Borei Moraesh on Motzei Shabbat. We don't make Abdullah until Sunday night. Beit Hill explains the reason. What's the reason behind Beit Shemai's position? Because They don't want to interrupt the learning of the Beit Midrash. If everybody has to stop to listen to this one bracha, then they have to get everybody to stop learning. And then everybody has to listen for the bracha. If everybody makes their own bracha, they do it when they're in between sugyot, when they have a little time to make the bracha. Here, if you force everybody to listen at the same time, you're going to cause bito Torah. So, bito Torah. They do not say the bracha of marpeh, which Rashi, Says, and it's very, very interesting, Ladam Hamit Atish, for someone who sneezes, should we give him Nomar Asuta, be healthy, or Gesundheit, or God bless you. Whatever response one hands to sneezing, Labriyut, that response, they did not say it when they were in the Beit Midrash, because that was Bittul Torah to respond every time someone sneezed to give that response. Now Rashi over here does not explain it, but Rabbi Kiba Eger brings the Medrash from the Pirkei de Rabbi Eliezer. Explains why is it that we have the custom to say, God bless you, after one sneezes. And he tells the story. He But from the time that world was created, people didn't get sick. He was traveling, or he was on the shuk, he'd sneeze, he would depart. The sneeze was your last breath. And that's how people died. They sneezed. Yaakov came along and asked for mercy. Until I can give my last will and testament. Until I can give my bracha. Please, give me a chance to do that. And I prayed and dove into him. The Medrash is premised on the fact that by Yaakov Avin it says that he fell ill. The Medrash is saying, well, until now people died, but it never said they fell ill. Must be that Yaakov is the first person who fell ill before he died. Why? So the Medrash says it's from because based on this story, that until that point in time, people died without falling ill. Yaakov Avinu says, oh, that's not good, because you never know when you're going to die. You sneeze and it's all over. So if you fall ill, people at least have indications that you're going to die, and therefore you can take care of all your last will and testament, all your issues, before you die. Therefore, a person should say at the time that they sneeze, Chayim, to life. Because in the past, the sneeze was death. Because this death has now become a light. That's a little story, the background to this idea of why we say bracha after people sneeze, based on this Midrash. And Beit Ramgamliel, in Ramgamliel's Beit Midrash, they did not say it, because they did not read Ramgamliel the Beit Midrash. Can't use the candle flame or incense of the niftar, 
Someone has passed away. My time. What's the reason? The reason you have a candle by someone who's passed away is not for light, obviously. It's for kavod. The reason that you have incense there is it's deodorant. It is not for, it's primarily for the smell. It's primarily there to, exactly, to right, cover up any other smell. We have that today, and the Gemara is going to explain this with bathroom space. For incense in the bathroom would be the same thing. What's the test of whether they lit the candle for light or for covered mate? The answer is, depends if they do it during the day. If they would have lit a candle during the day or at night, then it's clearly done for kavod mate, because it's not for its light if it's done during the day. But they would only light a candle if it was at night, then because then it's clearly for its light. The Incense, the deodorant of the bathroom, the shemina suida and the oil which had the samim in it that was put on their hands at the end of the meal to remove the, whether it's the oils or the grease or the unpleasant smell on their fingers after they ate, that you don't make a brach on. So both of those cases, the samim are there to remove or cover up a smell, not primarily for their nice aroma. So it sounds from here that any time that it's not made for its incense or aroma, that you don't make a bracha on of it. Person goes into the spice store, and he smells. And he goes in there, he only makes a bracha once. Goes in and out, in and out. Makes a bracha every time. Because every time you leave, you come back, and it's a new event. It's a new time. So that's the answer to your question. You make a new bracha each time. Over there in the spice store, it's not made for its smell, for its aroma, for its incense. And he's making a bracha. There you're buying it for spicing up foods. It's the spice store. It's not the incense store. It's not the aroma store. It's made for both. It's made both for its quality as a spice, but also for its aroma. It's a marketing ploy. People will smell the spices and they'll come in to shop. It's both. It's made for its quality as a spice for cooking, but the aroma incense that it gives off is also beneficial to the owner of the spice store because that will attract customers. So he does want the smell and the smell is important to him. And therefore it is also made for its smell. Rashi notes over here, and we said before that the shemen that you put on your hands after the meal, you don't make a bracha on it. Rashi says that you don't make a bracha of borei atzei b'samim. But you matter you make the bracha of borei shemen arev. Shemen arev is an oil with some incense, some spice that's in the oil. Im shemen shela for simonu. It's a certain type of shemen, certain type of oil. Because it's a aromatic oil. Yeah, it's balsam oil. Something to that effect, but it was a very aromatic oil that supposedly was found or grown down towards the Dead Sea in the areas of Yericho and where the, in Qumram, those areas, supposedly there was a large trade of that type of Shemin Afar Simon that was grown in that area. That Shemin, which is aromatic, that you do make a brach of Shemin Arab on it, not, I'd say, Bissamim. But, how could he say that? We said back in Ketzin Mavachim that you do make a bracha if you crush up certain spices inside of the oil, then we had a question, if it's Mishka Kavisha, Tchina, Mivarchina love, Boreyatse Then you do make a bracha of Boreyatse So Rashi explains there's a difference of when you use it. 
If it's simply used to put on your hands after the meal, in that case, you only make the bracha bore Hashem in Arabia, you're not going to make it bore Yitzhak B'Samim. If you use it outside of that context, then it's primarily made for its aroma, its incense, and you will make a bracha bore Yitzhak B'Samim. When using it at the end of the meal, the primary purpose is to remove the bad smell or the dirt on one's hands. In that case, you only make it the Shem and Arev, you will not make Borei Yatsei B'Samim. So you have to differentiate about its utility. If its utility is simply to remove something else or cover up something else, then you won't make Baruch of Borei If you're using it primarily for its aroma, then in that instance, you will have to make a Baruch of Borei Yatsei B'Samim. Tarabanan. Hey, Chutz Lekrach. He's outside the city. And he smells some sort of smell. So say, this is a parallel to what we saw with the candles. Now we're doing it with the B'Samim. He's outside the city and he gets a waft of some good incense, some good spices. Imrov Majority of the city is non-Jews, you can't make a bracha on it. Imrov Yisrael Mevarech. says, even when it's Rov Yisrael, you can't make a bracha. Mipnei, it's unbelievable. The Jewish women used to offer incense in the practice of sorcery and witchcraft. Wait a minute. They don't all burn incense for this sorcery or for witchcraft. Now, the reason or the problem here is that you have multiple miutim here. The only way you can use or make a bracha on the spices if they're primarily made for their smell. But we have, even when the majority are Jews, we have a significant minority that are not using it for its smelling purpose. And that is because we have multiple minorities that are using it for something else. We have a minority of women who are using it as incense in the practice of sorcery or witchcraft. We also have people who use it, the gamerita kelim. The gamerita kelim is that they used to burn the incense under the clothing, part of the cleaning process of the clothing. You used to launder the clothing, and then in order to remove any bad smell from the clothing, they used to burn incense under the clothing, and that would imbue the clothing with that smell, that incense. So that again is not made for the ariach, that's made to cover up or to change the nature of the smell in the clothing. So it's the same equivalent to a deodorant, not something that's primarily for its good smell. So based on that, you're going to come out with the majority that are not for smelling or for primarily for its incense quality, because you have a minority of non-Jews, you have a minority of women who are practicing witchcraft sorcery, and you have a minority of people who are laundering. So if you take three minorities together, you're going to come out with the majority that are not using it primarily for its incense or aroma. As long as the majority is not made for primarily for its smelling purposes, you don't make a bracha. Someone who is walking on Erev Shabbat at Tzveri, and he smells incense. That's when they laundered. So in Tzipori, they did their deodorizing of the clothing on Motzei Shabbat. In Tveria, they did it on Erev Shabbat. So if you're found in that area, since that is the time when everybody does it, you can assume that if you smelled something, it was because they were deodorizing the clothing. Here the Gemara leaves a line here, which the Gemara does not explain. The majority of the sugya, this major sugya is found in Pesachim. I think in Davchofov in Pesachim, and I'll defer to there to discuss it in more detail. This is walking through the marketplace of the non-Jews. Here we're talking about Ovdei Avodah If you smell and enjoy that smell... Then you are a chuteh. The assumption being that the incense that is burning there is for the purposes of Vodizara. 
And if you enjoy that incense, then you're basically getting a noah from Avodah The Gemara in Pesachim deals with this, with the issues of whether you really intend or don't intend, do you have a choice, again, that whole sugi is found in Pesachim. The Gemara here just leaves you with that one line. It doesn't really qualify it or deal with it. We'll again get to it when we get to the Gemara in Pesachim. You're not allowed to make a brach on the ner until you get benefit from it, until you get hanoah from it. To get Hanah doesn't mean literally get Hanah. So if you were close enough, you could have benefited from the flame. Then even if you're standing far away and you can't benefit from it, that's okay. I mean, it has to be for the purpose, or the, you have to have the ability to benefit from it, but you don't literally have to benefit from it. So if there are people nearby who can benefit from it, and you're standing far away, you can say the Brach of or be Yotze with their Brach of even though you personally cannot get benefit from it. Even if you're at a distance from the candle, that is okay. Is that really true? If he has carrying a candle on him, or he has it in a panas, today the modern word for headlight or a flashlight, as Rashi points out, that's an ashishit, which is a lantern. Or sees a flame, and he didn't utilize it. Oh, or he uses the flame, but he doesn't see the flame itself. He uses the light without the flame. You can't make a bracha in it. You have a double qualification. One is you have to see the flame. And secondarily, you have to actually get benefit from the flame. So if that's the case, that's against everything we said until now. A case, you can come up with a case where a person uses the light but doesn't see the flame. It's in a corner somewhere, behind something. So the light is still useful to you, but you don't actually see the flame. How could you see a flame and not use the light? What's the case? Isn't it a case where you're far away from it? So you can see the flame, but the flame is not going to offer you any real benefit. It was a flame that was flickering or burning out. So it's a flame that's not going to last very long. It's not useful anymore for its light purposes because of its flickering or burning out. But you can still see the flame. So you can see the flame without getting better from it. And that eliminates the bright of being a problem for what we said until now that Rihuk Makom. Being far away is problematic. Coals that are lochashot, you make a bracha on them. Omomot, aim Then you cannot make a bracha. So the going to ask what's lochashot and omomot. That's why I didn't translate them. What is called lochashot? You would put in some sort of kindling, thin piece of wood, a splinter into them, and it would catch fire by itself. That is considered to be a burning coal. That's what it means. Lochesh, lochesh means a burning coal. On the other hand, if it wouldn't do that, that's called a mamot. A mamot is a dying coal. Something that is on its way out. Ibailo, a mamot or a mamot? I can't do the pronunciation properly, but as the question is between whether it's an aleph or an ayin when we're talking about the omamot here, the dying flames. Tashma, damar avchista baravdimi, arazim lo amamuho began elukim. So here it's talking about, in Yechezkel, the mashal that is being described by Yechezkel there is that a very, very large tree grew, and it wasn't covered up or blocked by anything. So the arazim, the cedars, lo amamuho began elukim, did not hide it in the garden of God. So the arazim were not able to cover it up. And the idea being that amamuha is a coal that is 
dying is being covered up, that the flame or the heat is no longer visible in it. Rava Amar Yeotu Mamash. Rava says and disagrees what we said until now, which is that you literally have to get benefit from the flame in order to make the bracha. Bekamo. What type of benefit? So Amar Ula, this is what I explained when we spoke about it in the Mishnah, is Kadesh Yakir ben Isa the Pundion. The ability to take, tell between two different coins. And Isa and the Pundion. The ability to tell between the way we have it, the way Rashi explains it is Meluzma. Meluzma means the weights of Tiveri and the weights of Tsipori. Obviously, they were close in nature, and therefore you would need to discern between them. If you look on the side, the Oroch has the Kirs of Matbea. Between a coin of Tiveri and a coin of Tsipori, again, which were very similar, it would be hard to discern between them unless you were looking carefully. If Yehuda used to make a bracha on the flame that was found in the house of Adadailo, now, Rabbi Yehuda was the first memra in our Gemara here. I'm Rabbi Yehuda, I'm a Rav. You don't have to literally get benefit from it. You can even get it from Rikuk Makom. Even if you're far away, that's okay. So when we say that Rabbi Yehuda got, made the bracha on the house of Adadailo, that means the house was far away. Adadailo did not live close to Rabbi Yehuda. Nevertheless, he made the bracha for Mareish on the flame he saw there. Rova Mavrecha Debe Guria Barchama. Rova made a bracha on the flame he saw in the house of Guria Barchama. Obviously, the Rova the Shitato. Rova says you have to actually get benefit from it. So it must have been that this Beguria Barchama was near him, very close to Rova's house. But then we have a last name in Abayim Avrecha Debe Baruhu Avua. He used to make it on the house of Bar Avua. I don't know if that's the name of the person or Bar Avua would be his brother, literally, or just that's the name of the individual. But either way, we don't know Babaye whether the house was close or far away. But the other two, we know the Shitatam, where the house was. By Rabbi Yehuda, the Shitato, the house was far away. The Rabbah had to be close by. Abaye, we don't know. So we don't know if it's a house close by or far away, but Abaye made a brach on someone else's flame. Back to the Mishnah. When someone who ate and forgot to make the bracha chrona, does he have to return to the place where he made the bracha chrona? Mishachal. So we had a machloka bet shamai and bet hilal. Amar Rav Zvid, v'item Rav Dimi bar Abba machloka b'shachach. It's only true. Bet hilal and bet shamai only disagree about when you forgot to make your bracha chrona. Avo b'mezid, if you intentionally leave, intending to make the bracha somewhere else, divri akol yakzodim kumor verech. Then you have to go back and make the bracha where you ate. Pshito. Wait, what's the question? The Mishnah says v'shachach tnan. And Mishnah says explicitly you forgot. Mishnah used shachach, but it meant even by mezid too. So then why did he use the word shachach? The teacher that he by Shemai says even when you forgot you have to go back. Come to teach you that mezid and shachach have a different din. Tanya, Somebody ate at the top of a tower. Shachach. And then he forgot, and then he went down, and he didn't make the bracha, the rosh should be right, he's going to climb up, all the way to the top of the tower again, and make the bracha. I mean, imagine, you went to the top of the torch in the Statue of Liberty, you went to the top of the Eiffel Tower, Empire State Building, you forgot to make your bracha, and now you come down, you're going to have to go all the way back up, make the bracha. So, Beit Shemai's answer is fantastic. What happens if you left your wallet up there? He dropped some money up there. Lo Wouldn't you make the effort to go back and get it? For your own personal needs and kavod, you go up. Shouldn't kavod be greater than that? You go back for personal property. Wouldn't you go back for a brocha? There were two tamidim. One of them practiced like Beit Shemai B'Shogeg. I mean, he'd forgotten to say his bracha krona, and he went back anyway. And he found a wallet or a... 
money pouch full of golden coins, as if to say he was rewarded for making that effort. One of them intentionally left and did not make a bracha there, assuming he would make the bracha somewhere else, which was not permitted even according to Beit Hillel. And he was eaten by a lion. So again, the Gemara is indicating that halacha that we just stated, preferable is to do like Beit Shemai. Even according to Beit Hillel, they would agree. Beit Hillel just doesn't obligate you to do it. On the other hand, if you do B'meizid, even Beit Hillel obligates you to go back. He was going in a caravan. I mean, he was traveling. And traveling was dangerous in their day. You had to stay together with the caravan or wherever it was that you were traveling with. Achal, he ate. He forgot and he forgot to make the bracha corona. What can I do? If I really tell him the truth that I forgot to make the bracha, they'd say to me, make your bracha. Anywhere you are, Akash Bracha is. Meaning God's everywhere. And if God's everywhere, just make your bracha here. What do you have to go back for? Smutav da aminalo anshayona da dava. I bet off telling them that I left behind a golden dove. Samalo, entirely, wait for me. I'm gonna hold up the caravan. Da anshayona dava. I forgot this golden, yona, I forgot this golden dove. Azel ubarich. He went ahead and he made the bracha. And sure enough, ashkach yona da dava. Found a golden dove. Why did he pick a Yona? Why did he pick a dove? Because Bnei Israel are compared to the dove. So the wings of the Yona are covered in silver. And its avarim, its limbs are carved with yellow. Hashem says, while the other nations of the world were busy enjoying themselves, the dove, which refers to Bnei Israel, covered their wings in silver and made their pinions out of yellow gold. And as the Gemara is about to say, that refers to the fact that they had collected and done many mitzvot. As Rashi points out, that the wings of the Yonah are the most important part because he either flies away with it or fights with its wings. That's the nature of the dove. that He uses the wings as his weapon and as his flight. Yonah is only saved by its wings. So to Bnei Israel are only saved through the mitzvot. Because of that, he said, Yonah is the Havah. So it was a little more of a white lie. He was saying, I left behind a golden dove. means that I left behind my mitzvah. So he's going back to get his mitzvah. So he went back to do the mitzvah. So he was misleading. But, you know, in a sense, it was a more of a white lie. Adem until when can you make the bracha krona? How long does a person have to digest? As long as you're not hungry. After you've eaten, that's enough. You're still thirsty from the last meal that you had. That's the determining factor. How long does it take for you to digest the food? The amount of time it takes to walk for a meal, which is 72 minutes. So when it says, Depends if you had a large meal or a small meal. Now the way Rashi describes it is, if you have a large meal, a large meal is the 72 minutes. A small meal, you wait until the feeling of desiring to drink from that previous meal goes away. Rabbi Rash explains that Tosafot brings just the opposite. He says near the phrase Yipcha Chidem Ruba Kozman Shitzamei. So that's a longer duration. That's a longer time period. You're still thirsty from the meal that lasts much longer, and that's why I'm at a big meal because there's no limit then. But by a small meal, then the limit is the four meal or 72 minutes. So the minimum would be 72 minutes. 
There could be, if you have a larger meal, it could even be longer. That's what Tosavot suggests. So, Balaam Yayin. So here we said at the end of the Mishnah, if you hear a bracha from a kuti, you can't say amen unless you heard the whole bracha. But from Yisrael, it sounds like if you didn't hear the whole bracha, you can answer amen. If you didn't hear the bracha, how can be Yotze? The answer is obvious. He's not trying to be Yotze the bracha. He just wants to answer amen. You can answer amen even if you're not being Yotze the bracha. Just affirming the bracha. He's not participating in the meal. He doesn't need the bracha. He's just answering amen. Rab suggests to his son, Whenever you have the opportunity, you should be the one who leads the benching. Ravuna suggests the same thing to his son, You should rush to be the one to make the bracha. The suggestion or the implications being that it's better to be the one who's mevareich than the one who is listening. And that's what Gemara says, the memra. It's better to be the one who makes the bracha than the one who answers amen. Greater is the one who answers amen than the one who actually makes the bracha. I'm telling you that that's true. The, I would call them the weapons bearers or the lower ranked military personnel, they start the war. And then the cleanup crew comes. The big guns come in afterwards and they clean up. And they are given the victory. So the victory is given to the big guns. But it's only they come in in the secondary part. They're the added. They're the finishing touch. So just like the Amin is the finishing touch of the Bracha, so too, Amin should be greater than the Mivarech. When it says, Tanahi, it actually is a machloket Tanaim. We had the bright of Rabbi Yossi. Now we have another bright which is Tanya. You would have thought that the Mivreich and the Amin are on the same level. I mean, that they're both in Kudu, because it's Baruch Hashem in plural. Baruch Hashem in plural means that both the Mivreich and the Oneh are in the same category. But the response or the bracha of the one who is the Mivreich is answered first. Which indicates that there's preference given to the Mavareich over the one who answers Amen. We generally subscribe to the fact that only Amen is Yotermina Mavareich, that they're at least equal, if not better, for the Amen. The Rashba writes that the reason that the Amen is greater than the Bracha is because when you affirm the Bracha, that's greater than the one who's actually Mavareich. The one who's Mavareich is really actually proposing something. The Amen is someone who is acknowledging and affirming it. So the affirmation is greater than the proposal. The proposal is a suggestion to make the bracha. The Amen is saying, yes, that is, that's the way it is, that's the way it should be. Can you ask your Amen after the children in school? You can answer Amen to anyone. You can't answer the children in school. They're practicing brachot. They're not saying brachot because they need to say them. They're practicing their brachot. It's only true when they're not saying the Haftorah. If they were laying the Haftorah and they were really making the brachot because they are necessary, then you can answer Amen because that's a real brachot. Maybe the same thing, which is that even Miftarayu, the Torah means that they're really doing it in practice. That's one example of rare. Well, I think it was less rare because in their day the Katan got maftir. Yeah, it was a common practice. So I'm assuming that's why they made that as an example. Because there a Katan is practicing in shul, but he's doing something that's actively a part of the service. So that's why you're answering Amen. But I think it's true of all brachal. You could say Miftarayu means when they're done with their learning and they're actually practiced, then you could say that it always means Amen. Tanabanan, Shemim Akevet Abracha, Divrei Rabbi Zila. That Shemin, at the end of the meal, putting the oil on your hands is ma'akev the bracha. Rabbi Zivai Omer, enu ma'akev. It's not ma'akev the bracha. Rabbi Ach Omer, Shemin tov me'akev. If it's good Shemin, good smelling Shemin, then it is ma'akev. Rabbi Zuhumai, 
Omer, it's very interesting. All their names are very interesting. Rabbi Zuhumai, from the word Zuhuma. Right? He says, Omer, Kishem Sheam Zuham Posel Abuda, just like dirt or being unpleasant in your odor ruins Abuda, Kachia Daim Zuhamot Posel to the Bracha, so too dirty hands. You cannot make a brach with dirty hands. I don't know any of these memro. They're from these individuals. I know a brighta. Either a memra from Rav or it's in a brighta. And then here we have a gifts of Zubrocha. It's not clear whether that's part of the gears or not. But here you have three things that are noted by the Pasuk. They come out dashes on the Pasuk. Maim Rishonim, Maim Achronim, and Shemen Arev. So over here it sounds like Maim Achronim, Arei Chovah. Now nobody believes that Shemen Arev is a Chovah, but some people believe Maim Achronim, Arei Chovah. Over here Tosfot mentions something that he mentions in Erevin and Chulin as well, which is that Maim Achronim were only a Chovah obligation in their day. When they used to put salt, or used to have salt in their meals, which was melech stomit, that type of salt would blind you if it got to your eye. So it was an obligation to wash your hands, not a mitzvah, not a reshut, but simply a protective manner. It was a good thing to do, but that is not applicable to us. Today we either don't use a lot of salt in our meals, and we're dipping our hands in salt, I mean today we use salt shakers, or we don't use melech stomit. And because of that, you do not have to wash your hands. That's the dat of Tosfot, why Maim Achronim are not applicable today. There are a slew of other Rishonim that disagree with Tosafot. You also have the Maral and Gura who disagree with Tosafot and say that there's also other celestial implications of Maim Achronim. And that one should have to wash their hands, even if Melech Stomit doesn't apply anymore. And there's also the aspect of Brocha, which is important here, which is noted here, which is that dirty hands are not appropriate for Brocha. And therefore, the Gaonim already mentioned this. Does everybody have to wash their hands? The only one who's being Mivarech Halakos. It's only the Mivarech that has to do it, because he's going to hold the coast, he has to clean his hands. Or does everybody who's going to be a participant have to wash their hands? You have different opinions within the Gaonim. But it's clear that they're worried about this idea, that if you're going to get up from your meal after you're finished, and then go wash your hands, because they're dirty, then you should do that before you make the bracha. Meaning that if it's something that bothers you, and something that is Zuhaim, then you should have to clear them up in order to make the bracha, not simply after you've made the bracha, you go clean your hands. And that's the reason to still wash ma'imachronim. Again, it's a certain preparation, a certain idea that one cleans themselves and gets ready, prepares themselves before they make a bracha, independent of this idea of melech stomit. And the Allah has brought down that way that the practice is to wash ma'imachronim, and there is no differentiation between men and women. But why that is the practice is very strange. The washing my name is equally applicable to everybody, whether it's for Melch Stomit or whether it's for Bracha, there should be no differentiation between men and women when it comes to my Alright, I'll send out the Makorot, I have Makorot and my so you can take a look more deeply at it. Well, that will stop here.